0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Gathered together, whether in the room or online, we have been treated to three extraordinary scriptures this morning. And from these three scriptures, I want to offer for each one one twofold image. From Exodus, a picture of the two arms of God's love. From the Matthew passage, passage, the two motions of forgiveness, receiving and then extending. And from Paul's epistle to the Romans, an image of an airplane that has to have two wings. First, Exodus 14. I'd invite you to consider with me today The kind of reading that one of the great theologians of the church from the second century, Bishop Irenaeus of Lyon in modern-day France. Here's the way that that, um, an Irenaeus would read this passage. Now Irenaeus was always looking for ways that the Old Testament anticipates what God was going to do in the New Testament, and he liked to think about God working through Two hands, the hand of Jesus and the hand of the Holy Spirit. And Exodus is a place where you can see that gloriously. The first verse of our reading, the angel of the Lord, who is God's presence in bodily form, and the, the cloud of um, smoke that is a picturing of God's presence in the Spirit. They go behind the Israelite people and separate them from the army of Pharaoh that's coming to attack them. And reading this in an Irenaeus fashion, we imagine the Son and the Spirit going between God's people and what threatens them so that God can open the way for them to go, go through the baptismal waters on dry ground and be saved and be redeemed. And so, what I'd like you to do is imagine everything that's coming against God's people. Ultimately, well, it was a really good day for Charlton Heston and a really bad day for Yule Brenner, right? The, for the story to go on, God's people have to be redeemed. Go through, the, go through the baptismal waters, and then be led into the promised land. And that is what happens to us. Now the thing is, we have, we have the Son and the Spirit coming together. And my friend Robert Weber liked to think of the hands coming around God's people in a divine embrace, as the Father uses the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit to draw His people to them. Now we know from this side of Christ's coming, and His death and resurrection and giving of the Spirit, that whether we actually are victorious in this life over the things that come against us in the long run, we are victorious anyway. And the passage is an invitation to think about anything that could separate you from God's love. And to understand that the Son and the Spirit, however they do it, will protect you. What could separate you from the love of God? Might it be, well it's happening all over the place in California right now. Your home being burned down. The life of a loved one being lost to gun violence. You could lose your reputation to a liar. Your actual life to COVID or to a drunk driver. Your trust in marriage lost to an abuser. Your memory to Alzheimer's. Your job to pandemic, your sense of yourself lost after one failure, after another, no matter what comes against you, in the end, because you have been united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, every one of those enemies will one day be destroyed and you will be okay because you are leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship, what joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. The second passage, Matthew. The two motions of forgiveness, receiving it and giving it. Now, it's really hard to do the numbers here, right? And the point isn't the numbers. The point is the perspective. We receive an overwhelming gift of forgiveness, and then we, in turn, are asked to turn around and recalibrate what anybody else might owe us. It's like this. You have such a high level of credit that you are able to take on a debt that oh, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, could never afford to pay back. And then your creditor calls it in and then changes his mind and says, well, you know, whatever. It's okay. I'll cover it. But then you, being the frugal person that you are, which is how filthy rich people become filthy rich, you're a coupon cutter. You go to the supermarket, and the cashier fails to honor one of your coupons, and you go unhinged, just all over them. Like what, really? This passage is saying, don't be that person. None of us likes to see that person. None of us likes to be that person. Don't be that person. And we all know them. Sometimes it's us. Go to a restaurant, ask for blue cheese dressing. The server comes back with ranch dressing. Whoa, pity that server. I don't wanna be that person. Now, the reality is there are plenty of things that are wrong in this life that need to be addressed. Adjust injustices. That, that need to be fixed, wrongs that need to be righted, playing fields that need to be made level. But before, before you have the altitude to offer anything constructive or redemptive or creative, you have to be freed from the prison of raging hatred. Here's what this passage wants you to know. When you know that you belong to Jesus Christ, that he has loved you with an everlasting love and come for you and lives in you by the Holy Spirit. When a a price has been paid that's, that's beyond valuable because heaven could not Consider the option of you going to the other place. When you have been valued that much, loved that much, everything changes. The way you think about yourself, the way you think about other people, people you like and who like you, and people that you don't like and maybe don't like you. You become a part of what Jesus says when he says, I make love all things new. And then the question that this passage puts before us is when you're loved that much what slight from anybody can you not just let go of? What enslavement will you put yourself back under to hold on to a grievance with bitterness, resentment, envy, and anger. You can let go. Yes, you can. And our third passage is Romans 14. Think of the church as this this airplane that has been loaded with precious cargo. For that plane to stay in the air and to get where it needs to go, it needs two wings. Now Paul, throughout the letter to the Romans, has been showing us what's in the plane. This amazing story that brings hope and life to the whole world, beginning with Adam, who is a type of the one to come. And Abraham, who is the father of all who believe. And then Moses, who gives us, who gives us the Passover as an atoning sacrifice for sin, and then gives us a pattern of God's leadership by the Spirit through the wilderness as we head for the Promised Land. And then David, who is a picture of the king who rises from humility to glory, and then sings God's love among the nations. All of that culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to get that cargo to the world. But it's not just the world and its story, but it's the story for any potential person. So many of us were introduced to Romans in the first place by the device of the Roman road. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, none. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Then Romans 10.9 and 10, if you, if you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe on Him in your heart, that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be justified. For with the heart, we believe, and are justified. With the mouth, we confess, and are saved. And Romans 12, 1 and 2, in view of all this, in view of the mercies of God, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed in your mind and offer your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. This is what's on the plane. This is is the story we tell. This is the hope that we bring. And Paul brings this whole letter to this grand consummation in chapters 14 and 15 this way. Welcome those who are weak in the faith and not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. And in chapter 15, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, in a sense, that sounds anticlimactic, doesn't it? But it's not. Paul recognizes that there will be a host of issues that emerge over time in the church and that brave consciences will line up on one side and cautious consciences will line up on the other. In his day, is, it's are we free to eat anything we want? Or are there some things we're not supposed to eat? Are we free to honor every day as holy unto the Lord? Or is there one day that is special? And it's almost as though he were able to look down the corridors of time and see how we would have to work out things like, well, free will or predestination. (laughs) dunking or sprinkling, wine or grape juice? Are we to be led by bishops or by elders or by, who knows, nobody? Tongues, no tongues, social justice or evangelism? What Paul wants us to understand is that in order for that plane to fly, the plane needs both wings. You, with brave consciences, need those with cautious consciences so you don't decide you can just do anything and the plane will crash. Those of you with cautious consciences need people with brave consciences, lest you just become finger-wagging know-it-all nags and you'll crash the plane. Part of the living sacrifice that Paul is urging us to offer is extending to one another grace, forgiveness in disputable matters. Not because they don't matter but because keeping the plane in the air and getting it to its destination is more important. In the body of Christ, we need each other. We're held by the strong arms of God. We're forgiven that we might forgive. And the fact is we have different perspectives different angles of vision, and different gifts we bring to helping the plane get where it needs to go. Dean Smith, the legendary basketball coach at the University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels, once had a really fabulous player. Problem is, all this player knew how to do was dribble and shoot, dribble and shoot, dribble and shoot. shoot. Didn't seem to know how to pass, play defense, box out, just dribble and shoot. So one day, Coach Smith took him to to the gym, put the player in the middle of the court, and said, okay, play. And the player goes, well, well, who's going to throw me the ball? And Coach Smith says, yeah, exactly. It takes a team. To play the game, we need each other. We don't all do the same thing. Some of us are short, some of us are tall. Some of us are some more shooters, some of us are more passers. But we have to work together to make this thing work. What Paul would have you take away from today. Be thankful that you are who you are. And also be thankful for the people that aren't you. You need them. They need you. And there's this as well. Maybe the world that doesn't know about the two strong arms of God that embrace people with love, and who don't know what it is to receive forgiveness, much less offer it. Maybe the first place they can see that is in you and me and the way that we treat one another. And maybe that will be what opens up the whole notion to them. And so to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask, To him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, now and forever. Amen. Be blessed by him this day.